0: It's a joy to be back with you this morning and to be able to thank you personally for quite a few years of supporting the church planning program in the land of India. And as I looked over your record of contributions, I thought, you know, why don't I just explain to you what's going on with that church planning program and why we have 4,000 church planners waiting to get in. We have 2,500 in it right now. That church planting program is based on three concepts that I found from the book of Acts and the story of Philip. And I'd like to have you open your Bibles to Acts 8, where we're going to read just a few verses of that. And as I explain Philip's story, I'll apply it to India, and I'll apply it here to faith. Because those principles that are going on in India and that incredible explosion of the gospel... In the last uh, last 10 years, we have seen multi-millions come to Christ. An average right now about 2 million new, well-rooted believers per year. It's become one of the largest, if not the largest, movement to India. So turn to Acts 8. These principles are very, very important, and we'll share them with you. We're going to read, skip around a little bit, but it it starts with halfway into verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, Philip, I might add a lay person, not an apostle or a disciple in the historic sense, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip, they saw the miraculous signs he did. They all paid attention to what he said, and with shrieks and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So it was great joy in the city. Well, then from 9 down to 25, it describes some of the things that happened there in Samaria. But here's the point where the real story starts. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and was on his way home and was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot and the eunuch was read and and so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot and that's the point that i'm going to stop and we will take a look at this let's bow in prayer father we ask that you would send your holy spirit upon us as we examine what you're doing in india and what you are doing here among us and can be doing direct us, Holy Spirit, for we pray it in your name. Amen. Now, the three things on which the church planning program is built, Philip illustrates it, and it's illustrated in India, are these. And I don't think you'll have too much trouble remembering them. They all start with M. Meditation, mail, and multiplication. Got it? Meditation male, and multiplication. And I'll explain these. We'll start with this, this meditation thing. What do I mean by meditation? Well, I could start by saying that church planning starts in prayer, but most Americans don't really understand what prayer is. It took me a long time to understand it. And I finally wrote a book about my experiences. It's called Why Pray. This has been a, a little book, 40 Devotions, 40 Days of Prayer, called Why Pray? And um, it, it came out of experience in my last pastorate at Highland Hills Church. I uh, invited the church to join me for prayer, just like the South Koreans did, every single morning at 7 o'clock. How many people you think would turn up here if your pastor said, I want you to meet me in prayer here at 7 o'clock? We had 56 people show up the first morning. Well, that, of course, dropped down a little bit, but... During that first, oh, maybe, I don't know how long, let's just say four months, I carefully kept track of all the answers to prayer. And, and, and on, on that last week before things changed, we had 49 specific answers to prayer. And then everything went south. Pray for somebody with cancer, they die. Pray for somebody with, divorce, with uh, marital problems that got a divorce. And finally, one of the Dutch businessmen took me out for lunch, and he said, John, does it really pay to pray? I didn't know what to answer. It took me years to figure out the answer. You know what I should have said to him? I said, Bob, does it pay to talk to your wife? Think about that. What would happen to your marriage people If every time you wife or you husband talked to your spouse and you went home and you journaled all the answers and figured, well, it was worthwhile for me to talk to her this time. Give you about six months, you'd be done. Why do you think it's any different with God? Prayer is a relationship. A love relationship. And you can be in love without talking all the time. As a matter of fact, you ought to shut up once in a while and let the other person have time to talk. Right? And you don't evaluate it all the time on what you're getting out of it. You do it just simply because you love being with that person. That's the heart of meditation. That's why I use the word meditation, not prayer. Because Prayer is a many-dimensional thing. And if you learn meditation, you can pray continuously. Because you don't have to be talking all the time in prayer. That's the first story. The second story in this little book, and that's where this tractor comes from, comes from a grandson of ours, he was five years old when Papa Dykstra invited him for a week out on a dairy farm in Nova Scotia. And in case you haven't noticed, it, grandparents are tend to exaggerate. We, when it comes to grandkids, we play pretty loose with the truth. And so here's this little shaver, you know, with his yellow boots on, mucking around there in the manure in the barn. Oh, Andrew, Andrew... You do such a great job. I don't know what I did without you here on the farm. Come on, you feed a kid like that, a line, you know, and his head goes bigger and bigger day after day. And, and Andrew, you got to know him. He actually believes this stuff, see? And so Grandpa Dykstra calls him. He lives in Massachusetts. Grandpa Dykstra calls him every week. Andrew says, how you doing, Grandpa? Oh, Andrew, I, I, I miss you so much. So, Mary, his mom, catches him praying with a little group in Sunday school around Thanksgiving Day. And Andrew says, God, please help Grandpa Dykstra on the farm. He's having such a hard time without me there. Oh. Well, we laughed like you're laughing. And I went back in my study and I sat down. And I would imagine this came from the Holy Spirit, the idea. John what makes you think you're any different than Andrew to me? <laughs> you run all over the world. You're preaching everywhere. You're talking everywhere. You really think I need you any more than Papa Dykstra needs Andrew in the barn? You know, I actually started to cry. I said, no, God. I never thought of it, but thanks for this illustration. This is pretty profound. But then another thought came in my mind. And this was, when Papa Dykstra looks back over the year, what do you think he's going to remember the most? I I said, I don't know what he'd remember the most, but I don't know what I'd remember the most. I remember when I had little Andrew on my lap on that big John Deere tractor. And he had his little hand on the steering wheel. And I had my big grandpa's hand on his. We'd go out to the field together, and he'd snuggle up on me, pretending that he was driving the tractor. I said, "John, that's what prayer's all about. You stop thinking you're King Tut running around the world to tell everybody what to do. You climb on my lap as a little five-year-old boy, and you put your hand on the steering wheel." stop telling me where to go and just feel my big hand on yours and you listen to me hum and sing songs of joy over you you've just reached the epitome of prayer is that how you pray? sitting on God's lap like a precious little five year old girl Precious five-year-old boy, read this book, people, and learn how to pray, because that's where it all starts. That's where it started in Acts 8 with Philip. You realize what happened here? There were probably 50,000 new Christians and believers in Jerusalem, and they were all kicked out except the apostles. Don't go over that verse so fast. They all lost their businesses. They all lost their homes. And where did they go? They went out into Judea, but they also went into the inner city called Samaria, where no respecting Jew would ever go. And how did they go? Preaching the word wherever they went. Why? Because they were so full of joy and happiness, having lost their businesses and their houses and everything else that they couldn't shut up about. it. That's what happens when you sit on God's lap in prayer. You start to have a carefree joy so great just like we have in India, that even though your life is threatened and you lose everything, like Abdul, the convert from Islam, said when he lost his photography shop, when his brothers beat him and broke his kneecaps, and they Imam put a fatwa on his life, he said, I've never found such happiness. Because he's sitting on the father's lap. He knows one that will protect him. That's where it starts in India. We teach those church planters how to pray. We don't really teach them to pray. They've taught me how to pray. They've taught this principle of meditation to me. They know how to pray. And they also know, and we we, we divide the course into three sections, one month in the class and three months on the field. all of them have to call on a thousand homes, many villages. Let me tell you how it works. Daniel was one of them. Now, Daniel was an evangelist, and he had worked in this village for 10 years, standing on the street corner, preaching about Jesus Christ, and after 10 years, he had that many converts. So he came to the church planter training program that you've been sponsoring. And we told him, please don't preach pray so in typical Indian fashion he shut up and he started to pray and he walked around the village with his team for 40 days and I said to him what happened well he said that village was a prison of the demons and God bound the demons Oh, well, I said that makes sense you can't get in a prison unless you bind the guards can you there are 900,000 prisons in India. They're called villages, and everyone has a witch doctor. And that witch doctor and his or her people are the guards. Well, I said to Daniel, how'd you know? Oh, he says, that was very simple. He said, this priestess that owned this village and had all these people uh, uh, in, in, her, in her grasp, he said, she, she, she was a healer. But her husband was dying. She couldn't heal her husband. So he said, uh, she came to us. And she said, you're praying to God, Jesus. I never heard of him, but you want to try him, see if he works? That's how it works in India. They're very pragmatic people. They got 330 million idols. They're always looking for one that works. And so he said, yeah, we'll pray to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, healed her husband. And then we turned to her and we said to her, now, would you like to be free from those demon spirits? And all these people know when they're demon-possessed. She said, your God isn't great enough to get rid of them. Oh, yes, said Daniel. And they prayed and prayed, and she was released. I said to Daniel, I'd like to meet this woman. Where is she? Well, he said, she's standing right behind you. Turn around, look at her. And here's about a 55-year-old gray-haired woman grinning from ear to ear who had become the chief deacon in that church. And when I preached there, there were 125 new believers praising the Lord, because it started not with some grand program dreamed up by some guy from the United States, but because Daniel got on the tractor and sat on his heavenly father's lap and said, Father, this is too big for me, and I don't want to program it for you. And if I drive the, he didn't say all this, but if I drive this tractor alone, I'll run it right through the side of the barn that's what we're doing in America. That's why you got 400 murders a year in Chicago. Because we're all trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. And we're forgetting we're five-year-old boys and girls that need to sit on our father's lap in prayer. You doubt that? Let me tell you my personal story in the United States. Just five years ago, I was lecturing on prayer at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, just outside of Washington, D.C. I was listening, uh, work, uh, lecturing on, on listening prayer, as a matter of fact, and they got so excited about that that they uh, they decided that they would they would run their congregational meeting on listening prayer. Now they're German in background and some of you are Dutch in background and you know how we can fight and quarrel among ourselves. Well, it ain't nothing until you get with the Germans, folks. I mean, it can be rough. And congregational meetings were not pleasant. So they decided they wouldn't vote at the congregational meeting. What they would do is take a scripture verse and meditate on it. And then on a piece of paper, Right, what God was telling. Much to their amazement, they all got the same answer. And everything was unified. So then they took it to their district. They got 220 churches in their district. And they have district meetings and a full-time president and staff. It's a big deal. And they started to run their district meetings that way. No more voting, no more arguing. Here's the information. Now, here's the scripture verse that you are to meditate on. Instead of running away Saturday morning, the board members, after a full day, Friday, wanted to stay around till noon because they were having such an incredible time listening to Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Now here's the crux. Four years ago, <coughs> they were asked by their foreign mission board to raise 1.3 million dollars for a blaze, a program that celebrates the the uh, birthday 500 birthday of Martin Luther. <coughs> 1.3 million. So they came to the board, and they said, "You're not going to talk about this. Here's the scripture verse we want you to meditate on." Oh, okay. You be quiet. They meditated for at least 20, 30 minutes. Now, we want you to tell, to put down on paper what you feel Jesus is telling you we should raise. It was not 1.3 million, folks. It was 6.3 million. And every single person without discussion handed in the same amount on a piece of paper, with two abstaining. Now that's the way the church should be going. That's why I say meditation. Get on the Father's lap. He's talking to you. You know where it is? It's in this book. And you know where you should start? I'm going to suggest you start right away this week. Or in another week. You start as small groups. I have a small group at church. At my own church. We had six people last fall. We're up to 30. You know why? Because we started meditating. We took one verse for two weeks. I'm telling you, take one verse a week. And that's the other passage that I had for scripture. But you all know it. It's the Lord's Prayer. And you look out around you at a thousand homes. You don't have to know where they are or anything like that. In your zip code area. And for the next week... You take our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you just meditate on it day after day after day for seven days. And then your family, at the end of seven days, you share with one another, or in your small group, or your Sunday school class. I don't care how you're organized, you just do it with somebody, okay? And you tell them what your experiences are. Man, in this small group, It just started to go, you know, Lord really tells us something. Yeah, what do you think this book is here for, folks? This is Jesus talking to us. Listen, be quiet for a while. Prayer isn't talking all the time. It gets boring for us. I think it actually gets boring for God once in a while. I'm not so certain he likes long prayer anymore than some of the young people like long prayer. You meditate and think. Our. What does that mean? It means I belong. Who do you belong to? I belong to Jesus, my faithful Savior. Pull it up, roll it around. You're doing that already, aren't you? Do it regularly. Do it disciplined. Father, he protects you. He he directs you. He guides you. In heaven, he's the only absolutely perfect Father. And as you think about these things, now you say, Jesus Show us how that thought can become part of a thousand homes around here. Our church planners in India are doing it. Help us at faith to do the same thing, to meditate on your word, but to do it in such a way you're applying it to at least a thousand homes. That's what our small group is doing. We're praying for one thousand homes. Excuse me just a moment. And so you begin to pray like that. Okay. Now we need to go to the second thing. You're meditating. What's the second principle of church planning? It's mailing. Mailing, you say, do our church planners mail? No, they don't mail. Philip didn't mail. But you and I mail. So let's go to Philip. What's the second principle? Well, after after Philip was meditating, in verse 26, the angel said to him, you go to the desert. That's really strange. Here he's in Samaria, he's lost everything. He's been kicked out of Jerusalem. He's in Samaria, he's got a whiz bang evangelism healing program going. And God says to him, get out of here. I, I could touch on this angel thing coming to talk to him because I believe angels do influence us and guide us, but we don't have time to do that. In verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so he, he was listening. He had his hand on the steering wheel and the Father's hand was over him. And so what happened? Something very profound. He asked the Ethiopian to come back to Jerusalem so he could bring him to church and teach him the Bible. Right? No. He got in the chariot. He got in the prison cell. Folks, did you ever hear of a farmer planting corn in his barn? Farmers don't plant corn in barns, they plant it in the field. One of the greatest tricks the devil has pulled on churches, not just in America, but on many old mainline churches, is that you have to reach people for Christ here. You've got to pull the Ethiopians out of their chariots and get them to come here. As long as you're going to do that, you will Never reach Chicago for Christ. The church planners that you are training are told specifically they have to get in the chariots. So we give them 800 families. They don't invite those families to church. They go to those families. They don't just pray for them. They pray with those families in their homes. And we give them different ways to get in the chariot. We have a children's Bible club they use. We have an adult literacy program that they use. And once they get in the home, then they do what Philip did. They don't try to feed them T-bone steak. Your church planners, once they get in the home, have a little tiny picture course. Because 70% of the people that they reach can't read or write. And so what we did was we took the five basic concepts of scripture, creation, the fall, Jesus, belief and service, and everlasting life. I laid it out one night in an airport, and we had an Indian illustrate it in this little tiny thing. And they go to the various homes, and they explain those five things. And when the people get all done with it, they fill out a certificate, and most of those illiterates never and none of them ever had a certificate. So they hang the certificate on the wall along with the pictures of Jesus. And what you've done is plant the seed. And then they get them around, those that can read and write, to go into guide to happiness. This is a 12 lesson course. Does the same thing, goes from creation to the second coming. And you know what happens when you go from creation to the second coming? You lay out the Bible. We're living in a famine right now, a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Most everybody around us has a Bible, but you ask them how that Bible works and how it fits together, they have no idea. And so what we're suggesting that faith church does as an experiment with us is something very old, It started back in South Holland in 1970. And I got a bunch of churches there organized to write to every apartment dweller in the Robert Taylor Homes. That's been torn down, of course. Now some of you don't even know what that is. But most of you remember Robert Taylor Homes. And we prayed for them for 30 days. And we had a chaplain in the home that we worked through. And we asked him what happened. He said, You cannot believe the quietness in the Robert Taylor homes while you were praying and mailing and doing those courses. Or the course we dropped it. What we're wanting to do now is mail. And that's where this comes from. We can provide you with a rental list for a year of a thousand names and addresses of people in your own zip code area here. All you need is ten people to do this. And you write their name and address on here in your own handwriting. When is the last time you got a piece of mail this size that was personally addressed to you? I'll guarantee you, it'll be opened, And inside you have a little booklet called, oh, Where'd you get that name, Freedom from Fear? The same thing your church planners are doing in India. You can do by mail. I don't care how old you are, as long as you still write. I don't care how young you are; you can still write. And they will pull this out, and this is a little Bible course, and it emphasizes five reasons we're afraid: we don't know who we are, we don't know what went wrong, we don't know what God's doing, we don't know what we have to do and we don't know what's going to happen to us when we die. <laughs> I just explained the structure of the Bible. Right? We don't know who we are. First lesson deals with creation. You are an image bearer of God. Isn't that great news? Oh, I'm a drunk, I'm a drug addict. I no, 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 no. You're a human being. You are created in the image of God. Well, what went wrong? Poison came in. And instead of being in the image of God to give, we're in the image of the devil to get as much as we can. We're killing each other. How's God corrected? He came to forgive and cleanse us from that poison in Jesus. Well, what must I do? Oh, you've got to turn around. And that's where this second book comes. Why give? Because you know what it means to be born again? It doesn't mean you've got to take it from from hell to heaven. You do, but that's not the meaning of it. The meaning of it is that you change from being a swamp to a life-giving stream. You stop pulling everything in, and you start to flow to go the other way. And then once you understand that, you're ready for an eternity in heaven of utter sheer joy, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving to one another. Now, I'm out of town already, <laughs> um, one, one more thing, Then this is very important, and that's, that's multiplication. As you read, why give? God will multiply stuff. Your church planners in India are just beyond anything. Folks, when you get to heaven, I really believe this. You are going to see your church planners. I believe you're going to meet. In some ways, it might not be that pleasant because when you see all that they did and how it's expanding and how it's growing, say, oh man, we could have done so much more. I think of Schindler's List in that last scene. A Schindler pounding on his car saying, I could have saved some more. I could have done more. And I wonder if. That won't be somewhat heaven is like. But anyway, how much does it cost to mail this? Well, it doesn't cost you anything to mail this. We have somebody that's going to pay it all. He's our Father in heaven. And I mean this in all seriousness, people. It'll cost $650 to mail to 1,000, this whole package, to mail to 1,000 homes around you. And then to have a follow up, by the way, we have the same course Guide to Happiness. You can follow up with it. It costs $650. So I got a little group of, we're now up to 30 people. Four weeks ago, I said, This is what's going to cost you to do this. You've got to mail to 1,000 homes. So we're going to have a party potluck. We're going to address all these letters. Well, we need $650, and I don't want you to pay for it. I want the Lord to pay for it. So, you better pray in unexpected income. And we'll see once in two weeks how much comes in. So, my wife and I were not paying big attention. We had to go to Florida for two weeks. And, and I, uh, I had a $266 refund on our condo. Oh, boy, I thought that was really nice. And my wife looks in, What do you mean? You got that spend already? That's unexpected income, John. You challenge those people to pray in. I said, but I didn't pray for it. It doesn't make any difference whether you prayed for it or not. (laughs) That belongs to this project. Oh, man, I thought, boy, did I get nipped on that one. Um, So anyway, we got back, and after just two weeks, I didn't tell a story right away. I said, how are you folks doing? One goofy story after another. finding climax by a guy who... Played poker with some non-Christian friends. Put two dollars in, one twenty-four for them, And he said, "Does that count?" I said, "You better believe that it counts." <laughs> you know what the total was? Six hundred and sixty in two weeks' time. From about eleven couples. Folks, you want a liberating book? I mean, really liberating. Do I pray? And go on a. 40 day treasure hunt and watch God multiply. You say, well, what kind of response will we get if we mail this out? I have no idea. I'm a little five year old on a tractor. That's his business. All I know is he doesn't want any more seed planted in a barn. He wants it out there. And the simplest way to plant seed in a home around here is by mail. Address it. Send it out. It's his business. If you get only one out of a thousand Just remember the Ethiopian eunuch. It has the oldest church in the world. That came from Philip. What's coming from faith? Oh, man, you can't believe what's coming from faith in India. How won't you try with us to do it here? Meditate. Mail and watch the Father multiply the heart.